Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we have an all-star cast including Lachlan, Kim, Camille and Justin. This week we find out what Mammal March Madness is all about and who will come out on top. We also find out about Spore, one of the greatest educational computer games ever made and how it teaches about evolution and biology. We also find out some unusual facts about snails and just in fact the ways in which they eat. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Australians, like many people, have the almost uncanny ability to turn anything involving two or more parties into some kind of sporting competition that we then follow, support, and over a long period of time, become intrinsic parts of our cultural institutions. But as a scientist, it's always hard to sort of find a sport that best suits you and it combines things you're passionate about, which may not necessarily be exemplary displays of hand-eye coordination. So what's a scientist to do? Thankfully, a team of academics from the United States, led by Assistant Professor Katie Hine from Harvard University, have found a way to combine education and scientific learning with sporting competition. That pits rival against rival, underdog against favourite, and we watch as sometimes those underdogs rise up against all adversity and win the championship, or we see our favourites make it all the way through to the final and triumph in the end. And they've done this in a fantastic little tournament that they call... Mammal March Madness. So what is this March Madness? Now, unfortunately, I'm not talking about the intense period of male-to-male competition of European hares as they vie for a mate, which is actually where the term March Madness comes from. No, in fact, in the United States, there's a very big competition in the college basketball arena, which over an intense period of one month, a month of March, 64 teams battle it out in a knockout tournament. And if you're in the United States, this is something of a cultural phenomenon as everyone puts in their tips for who they think will make it through to the final rounds. And it's something that everyone follows over the month and has a lot of enjoyment out of sort of speculating and following their team's progression through. So the idea that Assistant Professor Katie Hind had was why not replicate this with animals, in particular animals that she was particularly fascinated by, mammals. And thus, the idea of Mammal March Madness was born. It's an intense, 64-competitor knockout competition that pits mammal against mammal. And in the end, there can be only one winner. But from a science communication perspective, Mammal March Madness serves a more important purpose, aside from bringing people together and letting them have a good time speculating on different animals as they progress through. It's actually a really good way to educate people about different animals in the world that they may not have heard of. In fact, the way that the bracket is structured is that it's divided into four broad categories. The mighty minis, particularly small mammals, really tiny in size. The sexy beasts, the ones that use their sexual traits to compete for mates, similar to how a peacock does it. Critically endangered mammals. And of course, for a bit of diversity, mythical mammals. But how do they actually make these animals battle it out? Well, of course, no animals are harmed in this tournament. It's a purely speculative modelling exercise from that perspective. Each of the animals is giving a seated ranking in the bracket structure, and that's based upon various factors about its size, its strength, and its capabilities. So then using the attributes of the animal, including its suitability for the environment, its weaponry, armour, body mass, fighting style, and other fun facts and things that they might have up their sleeve, 
the curators of the Mammal March Madness then post the results of the battles with a play-by-play style commentary live on Twitter, which is followed by scientists, teachers, families, children, and just enthusiasts across the world in over 20 different countries. Everyone is brought together to celebrate the highs of their picks succeeding through the rounds or the lows of their favourites getting knocked out. But most importantly, people actually get a good understanding of the capabilities of these animals. For example, the solar, which hails from Vietnam and Laos region in the mountain ranges, is one of the rarest mammals in the world. In fact, for many years, we weren't convinced that we could actually find one. We'd found skulls, and we'd know from the indigenous people that they, they were there, but scientists actually couldn't capture any evidence of them alive on camera. It wasn't until 2013 that a camera trap set up by the World Wide Fund for Nature actually managed to take a snapshot of it. And it's really very interesting. It's got two horns, and that's where it gets its name, the often its colloquial name of the Asian bicorn. The medium-sized bovine creature, about 80, 90 centimetres tall and 150 centimetres long. And they're relatively docile around humans, but very shy. And conservationists are working very hard to protect them, even though they live in a very rugged and remote terrain. Then there's the slow loris, small species of nocturnal primates found in a range from Bangladesh to northeast India, all the way through to the Philippines, particularly also around the Isle of Java. They're a beautiful little creature, but they're also hunted and very close to the point of extinction. But they're fascinating. They have some of the most unusual defense mechanisms. They've got a secretion from an armpit gland, effectively, that secretes a toxin, and they lick that, and they put that into their mouth, and then they bite. And that bite can be very damaging to predators. In fact, it's been known in large mammals to produce anaphylactic shock, but also scales down to just irritation bites and soreness. Both these mammals have already been knocked out of the tournament, but they're not forgotten. These small herbivores were no match for some of the more fiercer competitors. But sometimes, underdogs do win, like the case of the Numbat, which managed to triumph against adversity and beat the Quokka in what was known as the Rumble Down Under. So how will it end? Well, last year's final was a showdown between an orca and a clan of hyenas. And this year's bracket is shaping up to be an interesting battle. It may see the fennec fox, the tiny, cute desert fox, up against some fearsome animals, including the tamaraw, elephant, seals, and maybe even a mythical beast or two. I, for one, am tipping the fact that the kangaroo will bring home the glory. If you want to get involved, just go to mammalsuck.blogspot.com, search Mammal March Madness, or tune in on Twitter to the hashtag 2015MMM. So now we turn our attention to one of the greatest video games ever produced and how it relates to biological and evolutionary simulation. That is, of course, the wonderful game Spore. They originally were going to have it that the, um, you could design the internals of the creatures as well as oh, the externals. And I'm just really cut that we actually lost a really interesting biological simulator. And they programmed all that material into it, and they found it was too hard for casual players. And so just scrapped all that material. Oh, yeah. They should have oh. put on an advanced mode. Like, that's, yeah. that's not that hard. Yeah, that would be really cool. And instead, of their expansion packs, instead of actually introducing that stuff, just made more wiggly things and more horns. Um, <laughs> I really, actually, as a game concept and a science tool, I think Spore is one of the best scientific exercises in biology and evolution. Because you track, in a really visual manner, the different stages of life, how they all connect to each other, and how traits, parts can progress through that chain 
as a tool for teaching evolution and teaching a lot of biological concepts. It was really good. It also gets evolution right. I mean, yeah. Like here, the creatures that eventually inhabit a planet are not the ones you start out with. They're the offspring of those creatures, and they're not. They don't look the same, and they're different. Like, it's a very visual way to go. Yes, here's here's why the monkeys are still here. Because <laughs> yeah, the monkeys still were there, weren't they? There were, there were yeah. creatures that didn't evolve. Yeah, creatures, creatures. You control a creature that would go on to gain sentience. Creatures around you could either be domestic. It could be hunted to extinction. Um, domesticated as pets. No, that was it. Yeah, pretty much. Basically, those are your options. <laughs> those are your options. But like, I really liked that because it, it meant that you started learning about the, and the things that they gave you as your building blocks are actual things that existed in, scientifically in creatures. So like things like you would get like the flagella type limbs and wavy things that you help move in that kind of microbiome stage. Proboscises and all that kind of other types of stuff that we don't see that much of evolutionarily in large creatures now, but you could make a creature up to that stage it would have it, but you'd have to pay the evolutionary penalties for having that mechanism. So you, you kind of got a feel for why certain strategies evolved on Earth yeah, and became popular on Earth. If, if you kept the um, mechanisms you had for, for surviving in, in an ocean, if you kept those once you evolved onto land, then you are severely disadvantaged as a creature on land if you still had fluffy tentacles. It just doesn't work. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't grab fruit. They Dude, Cthulhu could totally survive on Earth. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think Cthulhu was... Locked a even. <laughs> Oh, what are you talking about? He's a perfectly normal person. <laughs> there is nothing suspicious about his behaviour at all. Completely functioning in every way. More functional human than I am. <laughs> True. I just like it because it taught me the term proboscis, which I didn't really know, but now I do. I know, I had to find the proboscis to get out there the snail tongue in my exam. Was that a prac exam? Yeah. That's really cool. Did you succeed? Oh, yeah. Like, we did it in the prac, actually, like, to get out the radula, but it's really hard because you're doing it on a microscope trying to dissect it, and it all just looks like globby bits. So, Camille, what's the first step in the dissection? Um, you have to bash the snail. <laughs> it's dead. It's dead. Baby. It's dead. So you have to smash the shell to get it off. So then you can cut it in half. With uh, how do you cut? Hole. How do you cut a snail in half? Like with fundamentally, <laughs> you just go like that with the what's it? What are they? Well, it wasn't with the scalpel. It was those blades. Guillotine? No, not a guillotine. <laughs> just a like, yeah, yeah, and you just, and then you picked apart, um, with like your little pointy things, and you tried to guess which blob it was. Did you have a microscope to assist you? Well, yeah, or does it still look like blobs. You were under the dissecting microscope, but it still looked like blobs because it's a dissecting microscope, <laughs> so you can't actually see the very fine teeth that are like. Less than a millimetre big. Biology spoilers, <laughs> everything's just blobs. Yeah. <laughs> everything's like blobs. Just take a guess if you think that's it. Put it on the little glass thing, put it under the other microscope, see if you can see the teeth. I'm just amazed that we've advanced as far as we have. So, I have a question, and that's snails have teeth? Like, their tongue, their tongue is like a whole bunch of blades. Okay. So that they can scrape. That's much more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> 
that, that is. That's, that's not what I expected. It's like a sandpaper belt <laughs> thing, and it's like this, and it goes <laughs> to scrape off stuff. Is that how it like, yeah. like cat tongues? Wait, are you telling me cat tongues cats and it's snails like... evolved from the same place? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> well, yes, but no. <laughs> Your biology is bad. <laughs> Look, we've established that my biology comes from spore, right? So you can be some credit. No, they have like a sandpaper t- tongue, so like it goes like the lips open, it goes and it scrapes. Well, there's different types, and you have like a torpedo type one, which injects poison. This is why you need a video cast. Just this way to do a video card. Yeah. <laughs> a torpedo tongue that injects poison. Yeah, the, the tongue's <laughs> that's a toxic process. That's like, yeah, you see smells. Biology spoiler. Yeah. Like animals are literally as silly as Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Well, why do you think the Pokemon bases are things off animals? Yeah, they, animals look, come on. Pokemon, Pokemon has ice cream cones that are sentient. <laughs> We're talking about the original 150. Uh, Thank or, you very much. Or often. Yeah, or more to but, see. Yes, well. <laughs> So if cats have a similar type of abrasive type tongue, do they use it for a similar purpose of like no. breaking things apart? Or is they it... use it for that. Because I, I get that, that make, well, the way you explain it, the snails having that kind of abrasive tongue means they don't need jaws to chew, they just go like, uh, ratchet it over like a rasp over yeah, their leaves yeah. and they get their nutrients. Well, there's like, yeah, rasp, torpedo. Yeah, sorry, torpedo, rasp, harpoon <laughs> into your mouth. Harpoon, yeah, it's like, it looks like a harpoon. It's basically scorpion <laughs> is like a snap. Oh, it makes more sense. <laughs> Except scorpion doesn't have a pull over. Like, scorpions just sting you. They don't sting you and drag you back. Mortal Kombat was totally biologically inaccurate. <laughs> Should have played more sport. Well, yeah. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we found out about Mammal March Madness, what Spore taught us about evolution and biology, and we also found out some unusual facts about the way snails eat and how we find this out in labs. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.